0: Sometimes it's not what you know, but who you know. When I was studying in Rome in seminary, I had a couple of things which would keep me occupied outside of the the studies at the Angelicum at the university and then the formation at the North American College Seminary. I was also a tour guide in St. Peter's Basilica for about two years. And I remember at one point somebody had asked for volunteers at the seminary to teach English, basic English, to some of the Swiss Guard. Now, the Swiss Guard come from very remote, for the most part, they come from very remote or, or the rural parts of Switzerland, the smaller, less populated areas is where the, the Catholic faith is alive and well in Switzerland. And that's where many, many, if not the majority of the Swiss Guard come from, kind of like the Ponderé County of Switzerland, right? That's where the Swiss Guard are coming from. And many of them know, uh, they would know French, they would know German, Italian, based on which region of Switzerland uh, they came from, and like many young adults in, in uh, Europe, many of them knew English. But some of them would come to Rome after enlisting into the Swiss Guard, and they would not know any English, but they wanted to, to know, uh, have a basic grasp on it, because so many of the pilgrims going to Rome uh, to the Vatican are English-speaking. And so I, I volunteered. I don't know if I did very good at all. I, I don't know if I taught much English. Uh, I remember one of the students, we talked more about motorcycles and chainsaws than anything else. So he could say those two words for sure. But it was a very fascinating thing to be able to get to know some of the Swiss Guard. And it was actually very helpful for me as well. I remember a couple of times where I was giving tours in St. Peter's Basilica and we start outside in St. Peter's Square or somewhere around the Vatican City walls. And sometimes when I was leading a group, I would recognize one of the Swiss guards standing at the post. So I, and we we're on a first name basis. So I would go up and I'd talk to them and introduce them to the group. and We get photos and, and things. And I'm, I'm sure that some of the, the tour groups thought that I was the best guide ever because how many guides are on a first-name basis with some of the Swiss guard? Little did they know, right? Little did they know. But I remember one time in particular, I was leading a group, or showing them around uh, St. Peter's Square and St. Peter's Basilica. They were a pilgrim group from Seattle probably about 40 people, as well as their priest and maybe deacon. And this particular group had made uh, accommodations, basically, to celebrate Mass in St. Peter's Basilica. And I remember we were outside the square one morning, and we're getting ready to go inside the church so that they could have Mass at the dedicated altar where they were assigned to celebrate the Mass. And we looked over at the, the security lines to get through the metal detectors in St. Peter's Square, and the line was already pretty long that morning. And I, if I remember correctly, we were worried that the group would not be able to make it into St. Peter's Basilica in time for the Mass. And if you're not there in time for the Mass, they, they don't delay it for you. It's just it's not going to happen. So the priest was a little worried. So as we were walking around... On the west side of St. Peter's Square, there's a gate there that's normally only used for diplomats, archbishops, bishops, um, VIPs, and, and so forth, and, and Vatican staff. It's kind of out of the way. You really have to look for it to, to be able to see it. But as we're walking by it, I, I recognize one of the Vatican guards there, one of the Swiss guards. And so I went up and talked to him and I explained the situation that this group needs to get into the basilica very quickly and they don't have time to wait in the, in the line. So he allowed us to go through the gate. He had me stand at the gate and he, he said, okay, just tell me who is from your group. Because as I was talking to this guard, and and the group I was leading was was close to the gate, some of the other groups saw this as well. And as I was standing at the gate with a Swiss guard, I was pointing out the people in this this group from Seattle. A couple of the others tried to come in. I said, they're not part of our group. And the Swiss guard said, you're going to have to go around, which is probably another hour add another hour to get into st peter's basilica sometimes it's not what you know it's who you know and the same is true when it comes to christian theology in the second reading this morning this comes from romans chapter 6 this is very important this is a very important part of the sacred scriptures. If you've ever thought about the mechanics or the spiritual physics, so to speak, or how is it that, that we are raised from the dead? We who believe that Jesus is Lord, how is our body raised to eternal life? Have you ever thought about that? If you have, or even if you haven't before, read through Romans chapter 6, and it will tell you exactly what's going to happen. St. Paul telling the people, the Christians in Rome, are you unaware that we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So when you were baptized, you were baptized into the death of Jesus Christ. We were indeed buried with him through baptism into death. So you're united to Jesus Christ in death. You're conformed to him in his death. Got that part? Have to understand that part first. So we're baptized into his death. We're conformed to Jesus Christ. We're united to him in his death. St. Paul goes on. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father... We too might live in newness of life. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. This is it. If we are united with Jesus Christ in his death, we're in union with him, then when he is raised from the dead, we too will be raised with him. That's the resurrection. This is a very important reading indeed. In fact, it's, it's so important that the church allows this reading to be one of the option, optional readings for a funeral mass. And more often than not, whenever a family allows me to choose the readings for the, the funeral mass for their beloved uh, deceased, more often than not, I will choose this as a second reading because it's so important, especially at the funeral mass. Because if you've ever been to a funeral mass, you will see that there are certain symbols at that funeral. And if you pay close attention, you'll you'll recognize that these symbols are actually used at a baptism as well. There's a white cloth. There is holy water. There's the Easter candle. There's a crucifix. There's the gospel. These five things, these five symbols are used at a baptism. They were used at your baptism. And they will be used again at your funeral mass. Why is that? Is that an oversight by the church? Is it a coincidence? No, it's absolutely intentional. Because if you think about what baptism is, baptism, according to St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 6, baptism is a unification of us to the death of Christ. We're dying to ourself to live for Christ in this world. At your baptism, you die to yourself, you die to this world to live for Christ in this world. And when you're Physical body dies when it wears out, and it will one day. It will one day. That death becomes another baptism into eternal life. If we are are united with Jesus Christ in His death, we will be reunited with Him and conformed with Him in His bodily resurrection, and therefore share eternal life with Him. I think it's important to think about this and to remember this. And as also we heard in the gospel Jesus and he is giving some very difficult sayings here in this particular gospel but one of them is he says we must take up our cross otherwise we're not going to be worthy of him. We have to follow him and while we take up our cross or or we can't be his disciple. Then he says, whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So Jesus says we have to lose our life. That begins in baptism, when we die to self, to allow Jesus Christ to live within us. I was living in Europe for several years in the late 90s when I was stationed there with the army. And I met a lot of backpackers, uh, a lot of uh, young adults traveling throughout Europe. Uh, mainly Americans, English, and for some reason there's a ton of Australians I would run into. And many of those young people in conversations with them, they they told me that they were taking a year or two off from life to find themselves. They're going to find themselves. Somewhere in Europe. Evidently their self is somewhere in Europe. So they went to find themselves in Europe. They probably didn't find themselves. John Paul tells us in one of his letters, and he writes a lot about Christian anthropology. He says, if you want to find yourself, if you want to see yourself for who you truly are, if you want to truly see your humanity, you look at Jesus Christ. You're created in, through, and for Jesus Christ. And so the closer you can identify with Jesus Christ, the more clearly you can see Jesus Christ, the more clearly you will see yourself. The more you lose yourself, the more you'll actually find yourself. It's one of the beautiful paradoxes of Christianity. So we have to lose ourselves. Jesus says it. This is something which is hard to do though. It's very difficult that's why our Lord gives us the sacraments. It begins in baptism when we die to self to allow Jesus Christ to live in and through and for us. And it comes with the other sacraments too. The other sacraments build on baptism. If you think about any other sacrament, any of the remaining six sacraments, think about what they truly do and what they're for, what their purpose is. They are to help you to conform your life to Jesus Christ. Think about the Sacrament of Confirmation, when you receive the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. Those are to help you to live your life in Christ. Because you've died to yourself. Think of the Sacrament of Reconciliation and the forgiveness of sins. We allow Jesus Christ, the divine physician, the divine healer, to come to us to purify our soul, to make us more like Christ, to be more conformed to Christ. We think about especially the Holy Eucharist. Maybe you were told, or maybe you told your kids, don't eat junk food because you are what you eat. Well, as Catholics, we become what we eat. We become the Eucharist. We become Jesus Christ. Every time you receive the Holy Eucharist in a state of grace, you become more like Jesus Christ. You become more conformed to Jesus Christ. So the sacraments will assist us in that. Once again, it is hard to lose oneself. It is hard to die to oneself. And we have to make that decision every day. But our Lord gives us the grace to do it. And it is necessary. It is necessary. Because when it comes down to it, the mechanics, the, the, the workings of the resurrection, the bodily resurrection to eternal life for us, it doesn't depend on how much money we have it doesn't matter how many possessions we have or what they are it doesn't matter what kind of car we drive or what profession we were in it doesn't matter about what kind of legacy we left it doesn't matter how much we gave to the church what matters because although those things might be important what truly matters Is that if we are conformed to Jesus Christ. Because if we are not, well, we can't raise ourselves from the dead. And that's a fact. It's not what you know. It's who you know. Praise be Jesus Christ.